Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the Venture Games podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm thrilled to introduce my next guest, Cordell Robin Coker, founder and CEO at Carry First. How's it going, Cordell? Uh, very well. Great. Thanks for joining me today. So to kick things off, for those who may not be familiar with who you are, uh, could you just dive into your professional background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right now, I am co-founder and CEO uh, of a regional focused game publisher called Carry First. We work with studios around the world to publish their content in Africa and, and help them scale. My background before Carry First, I spent over 10 years working primarily in finance. So I worked in investment banking with Morgan Stanley in New York and London. And then I was an investor with the Carlisle Group um, in DC. And then I spent five years helping them launch and deploy their first fund in, in Africa. So yeah. And what made you want to transition from, you know, finance and banking and, you know, more sort of traditional career path to working in the games industry? It was a, a combination of things. I always wanted to, at some point, become an entrepreneur and see if I could be impactful mm -hmm. um, in Africa beyond sort of a benign or corporate existence. <laughs> um, Gaming, I stumbled into, I've, I've, I've always loved games. I played a ton of console games growing up um, all the way through university, but never really understood that I could make a living doing it. So I went and did, you know, what you're supposed to do in the, in the conventional ways to make money mm -hmm. and really stumbled on it as I was thinking about some of the best ways to like build a big, meaningful business in Africa and, and realized that the mobile gaming industry you know, not only fit uh, some of the things that I was seeing in the region, but turned out it was a, a massive, sophisticated, really fast growing industry. And then obviously over the last two years, it's like, it's gone even to the next level. So a little bit of fortune, um, but it's given me the opportunity to build a career in an <laughs> industry where I, I actually enjoy doing what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the benefits. Uh, the games industry is fun. Yeah, exactly. So you alluded to this earlier, right? You know, Carry First publishes non-African IP uh, in Africa, as well as, you know, I know you have at least one African studio that you partner with as well, right? And so the first question is just, you know, because I've spoken with a number of developers attempting to develop for the continent. And I think some take the approach that you know, there should be African IP for the African games market. And others, you know, are thinking that it makes sense to bring international IP to the continent. And so how do you actually think about just these two strategies and your approach? Our thesis has evolved over time. So we started out thinking you needed to bring like very, very culturally tailored content to mm -hmm. the region. Um, and we actually started out by producing our own game. It was like a, like a hyper-localized version of HQ Trivia, mm -hmm. um, which we rolled out across a number of countries. You know, what we came to learn is that, you know, young Africans who were getting their first smartphone, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, were quite Western in their aspirations, right? The music they listened mm -hmm. to, the movies, the, the, the sort of idols, and so, so that was one. And then two, you know, games and game mechanics are 
pretty universal, mm-hmm. right? There are like, you can probably count maybe three or four countries in the world where you have to have like truly, truly culturally localized content. Mm-hmm. And the rest, it kind of all works. If you have a great game with great mechanics and progression, you know, people like it. So we, we've kind of evolved to believing that for the most part, if you're, th- if you're talking about themes and genres, we, we don't really discriminate and we don't think you need to have, you know, you know, ancient African mythical mm-hmm. characters. So, so that helps a lot because um, it allows us to work with studios around the world and bring their IP to the region. It also allows us to help develop the local industry in Africa, but say, hey, we can take your game global. Right. You don't have to be thinking that you, you have, you know, a single continent where you can publish. If you build a great game and we can help you do that, you can publish anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I know also in one of our past conversations, you mentioned, I think SpongeBob is one of the most popular IPs in Nigeria, was it? It is in, in Nigeria and, and South Africa. So mm-hmm. it's one of the longest running TV shows on the in the main pay tv carrier and has been is from like a television ip is basically like a top five recognized ip so so yeah that that's cool there's a lot of overlap and appeal and another sort of you know nuance of the african gaming landscape you know i think some folks in the Western world or who aren't in Africa, you know, just think about it as like Africa and like the African (laughs) games industry. But obviously, as you know, that's not how it is, right? There's different sort of regional pockets. And so, you know, could you just sort of describe which sort of, you know, you don't have to get super into detail, right? But what are some of the regions in which the games industry maybe is a bit more ahead? You know, how do the regional sort of nuances sort of affect the different approaches that different games companies are taking on the continent? Absolutely. So our, we, we say we're an African game publisher, but in effect, I would say we have tailored and and specific expertise in eight countries Mm -hmm. and unfortunately and those eight countries make up about two-thirds of the gdp of the continent and we think about three quarters of the opportunity in free-to-play mobile Mm -hmm. um so fortunately it's fairly concentrated you can do a little bit of an 80 20 situation unfortunately those eight countries are scattered in four different regions, mm-hmm. uh, Northwest, East, and Southern Africa. And so you have to take a different approach to each of them. I would say if you look at in West Africa, Nigeria is the giant. Um, it has 200 million people. It's the cultural epicenter of the region. But from an infrastructure standpoint and from like a GDP per capita, mm-hmm. it is like much further behind than let's say a South Africa, which has 50 million people. But, you know, those 50 million people are on average twice as wealthy mm-hmm. and much more likely to have a high-end device, maybe an, an Apple device than their counterparts. So uh, I would say, you know, if you're looking for scale, you know, North and West Africa, are clearly the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're looking for more advanced from a monetization standpoint, South Africa and Kenya would be your players. So they they each take a different approach as far as really unlocking the potential. 
but that's that's part of the fun and and hopefully uh, part of the differentiation for, for what we're up to. Right. So just on this issue of monetization, right? There are a lot of folks in Africa, actually, who are interested in gaming and play games. But one of the big hurdles to the growth of the industry is just the challenge as far as actually monetizing these gamers, right? And so can you actually talk about why it's difficult to monetize these gamers in Africa? Yes. The core challenge lies with credit cards. The gaming industry, particularly mobile, monetization rests almost 100% on the back of uh, globally accepted credit cards. Mm -hmm. Um, And penetration in our region is, I would say, on average, less than 10%. So what that means is for every 10 people that want to make a purchase, that are willing payers, uh, ready payers, only one of them actually has the means to convert. Mm -hmm. And so you can see how very quickly your your unit economics can fall apart if you're out acquiring users and and your LTV is cut by 90%. So that's the big challenge on the IAP side. And then on the ad monetization side, ad monetization ultimately is a function of IAP. People don't really think about it that way, but your biggest advertisers are game companies. And what they're doing is they're acquiring users ultimately to monetize them. So you, you have this ecosystem where there's a lot of suppressed demand from a purchasing standpoint. And so, you know, what, what we've done is we've looked to sort of aggregate all of the relevant local payment methods. And there are a ton of them which people use that are digital, that are automated, and that are seamless. They're just not credit cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things like mobile money, instant bank transfer, QR codes, um, people are using those. For, for other things. And we're kind of bridging the gap between what people use in their daily lives and what they want to buy, at least on the, on the content and gaming side. Mm-hmm. And then just taking a step back, why is it so important for Africa to actually have a publisher, right? So why not, you know, I guess, so number one for you, why not just build another studio, right? Why build a publisher? And then bigger picture, you know, why, is it difficult for some of these African studios to partner with uh, Western publishers or publishers in other regions? Yeah, so we think Africa needs uh, a publisher because it has bespoke challenges that require a lot of focus, that require some custom technology Mm -hmm. to be built and and that require like an organization, like specific organizational capabilities. And, you know, global players until a market is really proved out, aren't going to invest resources to do that, particularly in a market that's as hot as the mobile gaming market, right? To get a a big, massive foreign publisher to start building out a payment stack in Africa when, you know, they're still trying to conquer China, when LATAM is is still growing, they're Mm -hmm. thinking about their play in Brazil and so on and so forth is unlikely. And so, you know, we look at it in some ways like Southeast Asia in aggregate, it's a large market, but it's fragmented, it's messy, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's kind of custom tailored for a local player to do all the hard work once and then allow uh, other people to leverage that infrastructure and those capabilities. So that's the approach and and, and that's kind of the why Um, we've seen it work out 
really well <laughs> in, in Southeast Asia and then expand over to LATAM. And we don't really see any fundamental differences uh, as, as to why it, it couldn't be relevant and, and productive in, in Africa. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the why, you know, so now on the why now, right? And so I know you've made a lot of these comparisons, right, to where Africa is in the African games industry versus Southeast Asia at the time when, you know, some large gaming companies were were forming there. And so why do you think now is the time for, you know, a company like Carry First to succeed in the region? I, I think now's the time because a, a lot of the fundamental building blocks are in place. The first is people have to have smartphones in their hands. And we've seen an explosion of smartphone penetration. You know, if you were, and I was working in the region 10 years ago, people would be talking about mobile phone penetration. And mm-hmm. they say like over a hundred percent, people have like two phones in their pockets and they're mm-hmm. switching SIMs and all this stuff. But those were feature phones, right? Those were like USSD codes, mm-hmm. you know, old school Nokia's. And what happened in 2014 is there was like an influx of, of low cost, but decent spec Android smartphones from a couple really large Chinese players. Mm-hmm. And so you saw penetration explode. And so instead of having to pay $200 for a smartphone, you could pay $40, right? And with that affordability, a lot more people are going to want to, you know, have these devices in their pockets. So one, people have devices. Two, the sort of telecom infrastructure has really, really developed. I would say the biggest companies in the region typically are telcos, Mm -hmm. um, and they're quite sophisticated multinationals. So you put those two things together, and you look at the rise of sort of fintech in the region, you know, every three months, there's a new, new, new African unicorn, Mm -hmm. and they're all in the payment space. We see those as the building blocks, and content really is what rests on top of those things. So, you know, content, I think, is the hardest part. And so we think now is the time for someone to to take that shot. Mm-hmm. And then just following up on on content, if you'd like, you know, maybe touch a bit more just on Carry First business model and how you partner with developers, right? But what are some of the developers or some of the games that, you know, you're currently publishing right now or, or studios that you're working with? Yeah, so our, our model is a, we would consider it a, a true partnership model. Mm-hmm. The studios provide the game and then we do all the work that they either don't want to do or in some cases with indie developers they don't have the resources to Mm -hmm. do so we with smaller studios we help them get their games ready for market so we have game design product management and production capabilities from some multiple billion dollar grossing global companies and we can help a smaller studio get from I have this fun game with a fun mechanic to I have a game which makes money and therefore mm-hmm. we can scale paid UA. There's a, a big difference. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and then for, for larger studios, as I mentioned, it's really, look, there's this untapped region in Africa. I can't convince my boss to dedicate engineering and like business development resources to it. So if you guys make it really easy for us, will give you a shot. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those are the sort of the, the two, I would say, operating models. But, you know, fundamentally, you know, we get a game uh, and we handle everything from distribution, whether that's through, you know, Google and Apple or through alternative uh, means like 
you know, pre-installs or direct downloads or cross-marketing deals. We handle all of that. We fund and execute all of the UA. So there's a lot of localization with regard to the ads themselves mm -hmm. with the copy, Play Store listings, and then we handle all monetization and customer service. So we're really basically like the business arm of a game. And, and the way we align is through a revenue share model. So we can't make money if our partners don't make money right. and, and vice versa. So, you know, there's in many ways, perfect alignment. Mm -hmm. And then one of these games out of Kine games in Africa, uh -huh. yeah, shout out to uh, Dawit, who's uh, a great guy <laughs> who I've uh, chatted with a few times. You know, Gabeta is interesting because it plays off of some regional themes, right? With it effectively having like Moncala as its backbone, but also plays off of some global mobile gaming themes, right? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's effectively a puzzle game. And so why do you think a game like that is so uniquely uh, positioned to sort of succeed in the region? For, for a lot of reasons you, you mentioned, mm -hmm. the, the backbone of it is Moncala. And Moncala is not only is an ancient board game, one mm -hmm. of the oldest board games in the history of the world. And there are, when we did the research, we found that there are over 80 countries in the world that consider it to be indigenous to them. And so those span from Africa to Southeast Asia, LATAM, and there's even a, a version of it from like the 1930s in Germany. Mm -hmm. so, so it's one of these like nostalgic games where you can find people that said they played it growing up or their grandfather taught it to them or whatever. And then you combine that with like kind of classic, fun, animated mm -hmm. puzzle style mechanics with boosters and, and sort of, you know, special effects. And, and we think it's just like a really great combination. And, and it's a great example of a local development team that's building something that Yes, it has a local flavor to it. And mm -hmm. yes, it has uh, a local appeal. But, you know, you should be able, someone in LA should be able to pick up the game and play it and, and kind of get hooked, right? Yeah. Like my niece is 17. She's born in the US, lives in Atlanta. We were on holiday and I was mm -hmm. like, try this out. And, you know, a couple hours later, she's still playing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's what we like about it. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I've played it a little bit. It's it's really interesting because, you know, to your point on Moncala, Moncala in so many different countries is like such a big deal. And, you know, my, my dad's from Ghana. And so when I was younger, you know, I mean, we had tons of Moncala games like at our house growing up. Uh, you know, I've played it with my with my grandma, but I think a lot of people in the U.S., you know, are, are much less familiar with it or haven't really uh, played it as much. But you know, Gabetta itself, you know, so appealing from just a casual games standpoint that it actually becomes quite differentiated within what is becoming sort of an increasingly crowded, you know, casual puzzle game space on mobile. A hundred percent. It's not another match three game. Right, exactly. Uh, which, which is great. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, you're focused on mobile at Carry First. Why mobile? And what does the game's landscape look generally when you think of it by platform in Africa? So I would say we're focused on mobile because it is the primary means by which our users access the internet. So, you know, if you look at the US, for example, 
about 55% of internet access is via smartphone. And the rest is through, you know, computers and tablets. Mm -hmm. If you were to look at the same thing in, you know, South Africa or Nigeria, it's 73%. And as you go sort of, you know, down the curve, as far as like development, the, the more important the smartphone and the tablet is to people's daily lives. So it's really just kind of meeting people where they are. And, and mobile has really leapfrogged desktops, laptops, and so on, and is, is what people use to, to access the internet. And so, you know, when you look at, you know, the gaming landscape by, by channel, I would say, you know, there are no good statistics, mm -hmm. but I would estimate that 90% of it is mobile, probably like seven or 8% is PC, mm -hmm. and then the rest is console. And if you think about it, it's kind of an in, in inverse order of, of the upfront commitment required for the sort of mechanism and for the game itself. And so free-to-play is like, is, is perfect for frontier markets, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of a, a low-cost, relatively low-cost device that you are going to have anyway. You don't pay anything for the game. Most people, 95% of people never monetize. And then the five that do pay for everyone else. So it's like, you know, it's a, it's a Peter Pan model which works really well. Yeah, makes sense. So, you know, you recently raised a Series A round of funding. Congratulations. I, I know it's quite the uh, involved process for you. So I'm sure it, you're it glad uh, to, be, to be done with that side of things and, and back to building your business, right? What was the process like of actually fundraising from US investors as an African uh, company, right? And I think... Yeah, you know, just for context, when you look at the African games industry, you know there really hasn't been much investment activity uh, from Western companies. And mm -hmm. so, what was that process like? It's it's been an evolution. You know, we started in mid twenty eighteen, and uh, at that time, you know, we were raising angel dollars from friends, and primarily in the U.S. because that's where my career started. And at that time, it was, I have no idea what you're doing, and I don't get it at all, but I like you, and I think you're smart. And if, if, you're, if, you're, quitting, if you're quitting your job at Carlisle, then, then maybe there's something to it. So like, here's $50,000. Yeah. Right. So in the beginning, it was relatively easy. In the middle, it was excruciating. Mm -hmm. We took probably 18 months to raise a couple million dollar mm -hmm. seed round. And, you know, this time around, it was actually kind of, I wouldn't call it easy, but mm -hmm. it was relatively easy and quite yeah. refreshing. I think what we found is with an investor, with institutional investors, I have a theory, like <laughs> you can have one question mark, but not two. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for example, we're an African company and we're a gaming company. And for people who understand neither, so let's say a generalist venture capital firm, yeah. They like, no matter how much they like you and think you're smart and realize you went to a great school, they can, they can never get over both, mm -hmm. right? By the time they get to their partners and all this stuff, like no chance, right? Yeah. And we talked to all of them, mm -hmm. but you know, what's happened in the industry is you've had the rise of specialist gaming funds, mm -hmm. which of which you're familiar, right? Of and course. that allows them to instantaneously get rid of one of the stumbling blocks, right? Mm -hmm. They get gaming, they get the industry, they've seen it work in a bunch of different environments. So now the fundamental question is like, are Africans 
you know, fundamentally different in their character than everyone else mm-hmm. in the history of the world, right? And and it's easier to convince a few people, <laughs> not not everyone, right. a few people that the answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. And and so that made it a lot easier. You know, we we spent most of our productive time talking to US-based gaming company mm-hmm. or game VCs. Um, and, and they were able to get it. Whether they got over the line or not, they, they were able to, to, to get it. And then of course, look, VC, you know, not to be derogatory, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of a lemmings game, right? Mm-hmm. Like once, once one big credible party crosses the line and says like, oh yeah, these guys are worth, mm-hmm. you know, putting X millions of dollars in, uh, the rest comes together quite quickly. Sure. And, and so a lot of people are willing to follow a credible VC and unfortunately, uh, we were we were able to get Convoy on board, and we had been having conversations with some strategics, mm-hmm. and and it and it all kind of came together in a way that we're you know quite excited and and proud of. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of alluded to this, right? But what's the importance of having U.S. investors uh, invested in your company? Credibility and access to capital mm-hmm. in the future. The US VC market is still the gold standard mm-hmm. from a reputational standpoint and still has the majority of, of the capital to deploy. Mm-hmm. And so to get that stamp, it means that we are, someone believes that we are universally a good opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Keep someone that has the opportunity to invest in you know, a studio in Austin, Texas, and, you know, a hardware provider in, in Germany thinks that this like African gaming publisher is, is like on a risk adjusted basis worth the check. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so that we think that that helps, you know, with the ability to raise capital in the future, that helps with credibility with partners, right? We're, we're trying to get big global companies mm-hmm. to work with us. So, it's it's important. I don't I don't think the importance of it can can be overstated. Mm-hmm, sure. And then you know one of the investors in the round as well was Riot Games. What's the value of having a and you know you don't have to talk specifically about Riot, right? But <laughs> the, the the importance of having or the value of having a strategic investor of that caliber as an investor and a partner. So we we have a a, a couple strategics that came in this round. Mm-hmm. So so Riot came in. AET, which is the corporate venture arm of Akatsuki, mm-hmm. uh, the makers of Dragon Ball Z, Dokken Battle, also came into this round. And you never know what you're going to get from a strategic. You know, some of them will be active and hands-on mm-hmm. and helpful, and some just want you to do your thing mm-hmm. and are hoping not to, you know, miss the wave of innovation as, as they continue on. I think fortunately for us, we've found a couple partners that want to be helpful and believe in, in what we're doing. And the good thing is that as a publisher, we, we don't compete, you know, head to head. And as a publisher in a region where people mm-hmm. have yet to make much money, we're, we're not in competition with almost anyone in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so having, you know, a close relationship um, and aligned incentives with industry players means that there's a lot of opportunity to partner in in the future. 
they're happy to lend resources, to share relationships, whether it's within their firms or outside. And so for us, it, it's all of the upside without any of the downside that comes along with, you know, having a strategic investor in, in your business. Mm -hmm. Is Dragon Ball Z popular in Africa? It's a great question. Uh, we need, we're, we're going to figure that out. Um, <laughs> look, I, there, we definitely know in, in South Africa, for example, mm -hmm. it's relatively popular. Yeah. One of the, I would say themes that we think make a lot of sense in the region as IP led games, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's easier to attract a, a casual gamer or a first time gamer with some kind of IP that they have an association with. Mm -hmm. What's kind of hard is to answer the question that you, that you <laughs> asked, right? Like, is Dragon Ball Z popular in Africa? Is, I don't know, family guy popular, <laughs> right? And so we're, one of the, we're, we're deriving kind of different methods to figure that out across a whole, whole range of different IP. And, and we, we, you know, we, we have some, some methods, which, which I, I won't divulge <laughs> sure. at, at this point. Yeah. I, I hope the answer is yes, because growing up, I was a huge Dragon Ball Z fan. I think it would be <laughs> awesome for you to, to further grow out there. Okay. And then just tying back to the theme of you know the African games industry I think is still very much a mystery to pretty much the whole world outside of Africa right and probably even to many in Africa and so have you seen any sort of halo effect or any sort of increased interest in the region you know since you guys have had so much early success we we definitely have it's the industry is in its infancy mm -hmm. that that is clear but there there have been a lot of inbounds and a lot of people sort of perking up and and taking a look that may, maybe wouldn't have yet mm -hmm. um and so one of the things we we announced after our series a was that we we signed a partnership with crazy labs oh yeah i saw uh, this yeah so 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 that's a, a really exciting one mm -hmm. um because the core of our business obviously is to get games from studios and publish them but there's still a question as to like, how do you catalyze the game development industry in the region? How do you provide resources mm -hmm. and knowledge sharing? So, you know, that kid with a, with a computer science background that loves games doesn't have to be building, you know, a mobile banking app, right? right. And, and like, you know, hating his life. <laughs> so the partnership with Crazy Labs, Crazy Labs obviously mm -hmm. is is a hyper-casual publisher, a top three globally. Mm -hmm. I think they've had like 4 billion downloads or something. Mm -hmm. And they're constantly looking for content and they're looking for more scalable ways to create and source content. And so, you know, we're partnering with them to launch their, their first developer hub. It's gonna be in Cape Town this fall. And, you know, we're, we've had hundreds and hundreds of applications from, you know, indie development teams to, to participate in it. And a program like that can't exist if you don't have a credible local partner, mm -hmm. right? Crazy Labs is not like flying to South Africa to get office space and <laughs> find, a, you know, find a local mentor and, mm -hmm. and start recruiting college kids. And so, you know, I, I think it will develop slowly, right? Partnerships and corporate partnerships have mm -hmm. long lead times, but we're seeing a lot of interest and like legitimate actionable interest that we think will will sort of trickle out in some pretty 
interesting and scalable partnerships, both on the distribution and publishing side, but also on the content creation side in the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. And then are you still able to, or interested in gaming today? And if you are a gamer today, uh, what games are you playing? So it's interesting. Anytime something becomes your job, uh, <laughs> the relationship with it, you know, starts to change a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I would say I play a lot of games because I, I want to, you know, have my finger on the pulse and understand what's out there. And then occasionally I, I play games and then I get hooked and, and then I keep going. And so I would say, you know, in the last year, the ones which I've had the most fun and, and played um, I've played a ton of Clash Royale. Mm -hmm. I've played a ton of Dream League Soccer, mm -hmm. which I think is a really fun game. And I've played a, a ton of Call of Duty Mobile. So I would say pretty diverse, <laughs> all, all fairly, all competitive, right? Yeah. There's, there's definitely a, a competitive multiplayer angle to, mm -hmm. to my gaming. And, and I like like a fair amount of like skill, strategy, and, and competition. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I, I play almost everything. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse to be <laughs> in this industry professionally, you know, because you get to play all these good games, you know, but some you got to make sure you're not playing a little bit too much, you know, because the, the industry, you know, where it is today is just amazing. There's so many incredible games out there. So you got to be careful. A hundred percent. So, you know, looking forward, you know, so far, obviously you've broken down uh, a bunch of doors, you know, you, you've had a, a lot of great sort of early success, right? But looking forward, you know, what does Carry First look like, you know, maybe five or 10 years down the line? You know, what does the African uh, gaming landscape look like, right? And what do you want your impact to be? I think looking forward, I think Carry First becomes the dominant uh, consumer internet company in Africa. Mm -hmm. I think starting with gaming, while it may have seemed counterintuitive five years ago, is like a patently obvious place to start today, given its, its broad-based appeal and given the fact that basically everyone's a gamer well before they're doing almost anything else online. So, you know, we'll be the the sort of dominant player in the region, the go-to partner for international studios that are looking to scale. And at some point, we will probably get back into first-party content mm -hmm. and fill some of the gaps that we see that we can't find someone who's doing it, right? So I, I think we'll be the dominant player, but as a result of the infrastructure that we've built and that we will continue to build, on the payments and and sort of digital commerce side of things, I think we're going to have a much much broader um, appeal, and we're going to have nearly everyone on the continent will have passed through our ecosystem mm -hmm. in one form or another, and that will give us the ability to do a lot of really cool um, and interesting things. So I think I think that's what we look like, and I think our impact is going to be immense, right? I think. We're going to you know, bring sort of joy and entertainment into tons of people's mm -hmm. lives. I think we're going to have thousands and thousands of like well-paid, well-trained and upwardly mobile employees. I think we're going to have like 
destroyed and obliterated a bunch of stereotypes about mm-hmm. you know the differences between Africans and, and other people around the world. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll create it like an immense amount of shareholder value. So, you know, that's that's what we're <laughs> shooting for. Uh, I would say, you know, on your on your odd, you know, Wednesday at 4 p.m., it may not feel like that's exactly where we're headed as mm-hmm. we're, we're grinding through uh, the process of business building. But but that's that's what we're up to. Mm-hmm. No, it's extremely exciting. You know, pretty pretty modest goals. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's very exciting, and I'll I'll definitely be rooting for you. And I I look forward to you making Dragon Ball Z huge in Africa. <laughs> All right, I, I hope so. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it.